Thank you for listening to another episode of the Cuban Family Roots Podcast. Today's episode is about Cubans in early American history. When I was learning history in high school and later in college, Cubans were never mentioned as part of the American story, nor did I hear about Spanish Florida. I learned that much later when I entered the world of genealogy. In this episode, Cristian Martinez Valles highlights four unknown Cubans who played a major role in America's early formation. We can no longer depend on others to discuss our involvement in the America story. It is now up to us Cubans to identify those who made a significant contribution to America. The story belongs to us and must be told by us. This is your first time listening. Cristian Martinez Valles is a blogger. In his blog, Unveiling Spanish America, he sheds light on many of the unknown Cubans that played a role in America's early formation. Christian will soon be releasing a podcast about this very same topic, and I promise I'll provide information about that as soon as it's available. We will return after this short message from our sponsor. We know that Cuba and Florida had a strong connection way before the Europeans arrived. Because of their close proximity, much trade was going on between the two. And then during Prohibition in 1868, Florida fishermen swapped smoked fish for rum and Cubans grabbed their tobacco seeds and headed to Key West, only 90 miles away. In 1886, Vicente Martinez Ebor moved his cigar operation to, to Tampa and the city became better known as Ebor City. And today, Cuban influence has added spice and spark to cuisine, art, and customs throughout the state of Florida. Um, what I'll start connecting this blog to and to your podcast is talking about four Cubans, or four, or should I say four you know, Hispanic figures that were, are never talked about who happen to be Cuban, who've contributed not only to like the United States, but also to the cause of Cuban independence. And in fact, in particularly three of them actually helped contribute and participated in the cause for Cuban independence while also serving here in the United States. Well, and that's unbelievable because we probably never heard about these individuals from our textbooks in school. So I'm really excited that you're going to shed some light Yep. So the first figure I'll start with is his name was Ambrosio Jose Gonzalez. And I'll read you everything that is published on the blog about all these figures. So I'll start with Mr. Gonzalez. So, so he is a native of Cuba. At the time, it was a Spanish colony. But Gonzalez was born in 1818 to a prominent local family in the city of Matanzas. And from an early age, he began receiving an international education. So his family were pretty well off in Matanzas at the time. So, and this international education allowed him to visit parts of Europe. You know, in 1829, he went to New York City. And then ultimately, at the end, you know, he, it culminated with him studying law, arts, and sciences at the University of Havana in Cuba. That's interesting. And that's, uh, that's actually very opposing to what Martí stood for, because he wanted total independence of Cuba. But that's, that's really interesting. I, I never heard of this before. And it gets even more interesting, Eileen. Actually, he began hanging around the likes. He was known for supporting the idea of Cuba liberating itself from Spain and becoming an American territory. And so when Gonzalez you know, started hanging around him, 
they both shared that same view. And so one thing that Lopez was known for was launching many like expeditions or filibusters that were trying to attempt the liberation of the island from the Spanish. And in one such expedition in May 1850, both L Lopez and Gonzalez together embarked to Cárdenas, where they, accompanied by around 610 men, launched an invasion. There, you know, the Spanish attacked them and it did not end well. I mean, Gonzalez was shot in the right thigh. He was wounded in the attack. And he was ready to just continue going. I mean, he wanted to continue his way towards Oriente, you know, in the east. But that did not happen. And so he had to come back to the United States, where ultimately he found, he found himself settled in South Carolina. And so there, he tried to lobby the Democratic Party, you know, unsuccessfully to assist him in this cause of liberating Cuba from the Spanish and, and making it a territory of the United States. And from what it looks like, they were initially open to that idea at the time. But nevertheless, in South Carolina, he, he went and married, you know, Harriet Elliott, a, who was the daughter of a, a local planter who was very wealthy, and he had a family with her. And so Gonzalez, you know, being, you know, a, living in South Carolina, he supported the Confederate States of America, so the South, and he joined their military as a soldier. He started off as a lieutenant colonel, and over time, he made his way up to the rank of colonel. Reportedly, from what I've read, it looks like he never actually made it to the rank of general because there were some issues between him and the Confederate President Jefferson Davis. <laughs> but during the war, I mean, he, he had led the Confederates to a victory in the Battle of Honey Hill. He served alongside, you know, the prominent General PGT Beauregard. He commanded around 157 artillery guns in, you know, battles that were at Charleston Harbor and James Island. And eventually he was promoted to chief of artillery for, you know, the Carolinas, Georgia and Florida departments. Eventually, however, the tide of the war had turned against the Confederates. It was not they ultimately would not win the war. But towards the end of the war, he had surrendered to General William Tecumseh Sherman in North Carolina. And after that, he had you know found multiple ways to make money and make a living. And mainly one of the biggest causes that he put himself into was his children. He educated them very well. He ultimately ended up dying in 1893. His sons, actually Narciso and Ambrose, went on to found a newspaper in South Carolina called The State, which still operates today. Now, the next figure that I'm going to talk about, she's not, let's say, she didn't participate so much in the cause of Cuban independence like this one and the other two after I talk about her. This one, I think, is a very interesting story, and it's one that'll just amaze people if they were just to learn about it. So this is about a Confederate spy. Her name was Lola Sanchez, okay? So she was born in 1844 to Cuban parents. So she was one of five children. So her, she, her actual name was Dolores, but everybody called her Lola. And so she also had some siblings named Emiliano, John Henry, Francisca, who everybody called Panchita, and Elgenia. And they all grew up near the town of Palatka in Florida, which is not too far away from St. Augustine. And at the time, in the 1840s, Palatka was a major shipping port and tourist spot. And so what the family mainly ended up doing was tending to their father. And they also had to help their mother because she suffered from some illness. A, a Union gunboat called the USS Cimarron fired some shells on the town. And afterwards, they occupied it. And at the very beginning, Lola was not the type to avoid you know, getting herself involved in the Civil War. 
But things ultimately would change, however, when the Union troops falsely accused her father of being a spy for the Confederacy. Because apparently there were like information and intelligence leaks that were happening between the Union and the Confederacy. And they, it said that perhaps, you know, Lola's, one of her, Lola's brothers serving in the Confederate Army didn't help the, the case. But they falsely accused him and they arrested him. And he was sent to his imprisonment at the Castillo San Marcos, the old Spanish fortress in St. Augustine. And there, you know, he was imprisoned. And, and then a few Union troops were stationed to keep watch at and occasionally search the Sanchez home. And despite, you know, many attempts by Lola and her siblings to release their father, they just repeatedly refused to do so. How interesting. Yeah. She was a spy. <laughs> <laughs> and so the last two that I have to mention, actually, I think are perhaps my favorites because these are two brothers and they both have very similar stories, but they both and ultimately they both suffered the same fate. But you're going to be amazed by it because they, they, they really fought for both the United States and for Cuba. So the Fernandez Cavada brothers, th these I think are almost never talked about by anybody, but they deserve to be talked about in both American history and Cuban history. So these two brothers, you know, Federico and Adolfo, alongside their brother Emilio, they were all born in Cienfuegos, Cuba. At the time, it was a Spanish colony. They were the children of a Spanish father, Isidoro Fernandez Cavada, and an American mother named Emily Howard Gautier, who was from Philadelphia. And after their father passed away in 1838, they, they, they moved with their widowed mother to Philadelphia, where she was from. But then this is, they would both end up serving in the Civil War. And this is where their stories begin. In Arimao, several months later, in November 1869, Fernandez Cavada and his men took control of Cienfuegos. And subsequently, a month later, they took over the town of Arroyo Blanco. He succeeded his brother, Federico, as the commander-in-chief of the Cinco Villas, which was the, the commander-in-chief of, of Cuban forces. And a year later, on, on December 18, 1871, while in battle near Santiago de Cuba, he was killed at a, at a coffee farm called La Adelaida. He died in battle. And I'm, I'm so glad that you, know, that you have this, this, uh, this blog where you get to share this this information yeah and then and then you know his brother federico had a very similar story too just like his brother so federico fernandez cavada was born on july 8th 1831 he enlisted in august 1861 around the same time as his brother and as a captain with the 23rd pennsylvania unlike his brother though he was instead employed as an engineer since he apparently had a talent for sketching and for topography and so during the war he would often ride hydrogen balloons and he would sketch the positions of the Confederates from the sky. And then in July 1862, he left the 23rd Pennsylvania and instead joined the, the 114th Pennsylvania Volunteer Infantry where, with the rank of major. And then the following month, he rose to the rank of lieutenant colonel. And then while with the 114th, he fought at the battles of Fredericksburg, Chancellorsville, and also at Gettysburg. And at Gettysburg, he had it a little bit worse than his brother. He was actually captured as a prisoner of war on July 2nd, 1863 by the Confederates who sent him to Libby Prison in Richmond, Virginia, where he spent time until January 1864. After he was released from prison, I mean, and, and during his years in prison, he had written a book about his experience. It's, I, I just forgot the name, but if you look up his name, you'll find the name of the book. But he talks about his experience as a prisoner of war there. 
he was also appointed to be U.S. consul in Cuba, but this time in Trinidad, Cuba. So a different, not in Cienfuegos like his brother. And he served that position until around the same time as his brother when the 10 years war broke out. And so after that, he served as, as general for the district of Trinidad with the Cubans who were fighting for their independence from the Spanish authorities. During the war, he became commander in chief of the Cinco Villas before his brother. And then in 1871, while he was at battle in Cayo Cruz in, in Camagüey province, he was captured by the Spanish gunboat Neptuno and he was put on trial. They found him guilty. The Spanish authorities then ordered for him to be executed by firing squad. And then on July 1st, 1871, in Nuevitas, in Camagüey, they killed him. And apparently his last words, you know what his last words were? Adios Cuba para siempre, which means farewell Cuba forever. That's deep. Yeah, I mean, these two brothers served alongside other Cuban heroes like Carlos Manuel de Cepede, Carlito Garcia, Antonio Maceo. You know, they, they served alongside those people. And we never heard about them. Exactly. Never heard about. I, I thank you so much for bringing these people to light because, and you have a blog which you dedicate to Hispanics in American history. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, yes. So may I started off my blog because I like to go visit places that have a lot of historical significance. And, you know, as a Hispanic person as well, I just saw that there's a lot of Hispanic heritage, especially like here in Florida where I live. I mean, Florida has a long history with Spain. That's like an area that you would never think has any Hispanic history or Spanish history. But guess what? There is. And there's even a, a little there's even a post in my blog about it. It's called the Pineland Archaeological Site. I went there like not too long ago. And in there it talks about the Calusa Indians and their and their um, interactions with the Spanish in the, in the 1500s. And it also talks about, and reportedly from what I've heard, it looks like Ponce de Leon came across these people in the early 1500s around this area so many, so many years ago. And nobody talks about it. Everyone talks about Ponce de Leon, you know, in the Fountain of Youth and St. Augustine and all that, but they don't talk about these little points in history. Exactly. And I, I'm glad that I have uh, connected with you and that we're working together between your blog and my podcast to, to shed some light. I agree as well, Eileen. Right now, what's published on the blog, I have a, a post about the ancient Spanish monastery in North Miami Beach. You know, it's a monastery that was originally built centuries ago in northern Spain, but it was brought piece by piece here to the United States and reconstructed. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful scenic area. And then the other two posts that I have are about, you know, notable Hispanics. Like there's a whole post about the two Farraguts, you know, George Farragut and David Farragut. That, those have a very interesting history. I recommend anyone to read about it. And then there's one about notable Hispanics in early American history where I talk about Ambrosio Gonzalez, who I talked about on your podcast today. And I also talk about a few other early figures like Bernardo de Galvez that nobody talks about, but who was so crucial to the American Revolution. And I have now another early Hispanics post that I'm going to be doing very soon. And soon I'm also going to be visiting a place with Hispanic heritage, very early Spanish and Hispanic heritage. And I'll be writing about it with some more photographs. So whenever I go to any location, Elaine, you're, you're always going to be seeing photographs that I take because I like to combine history, storytelling, and photography. Christian, if somebody wanted to find your blog, 
Yes, of course. Uh, you All you have to do is just go to www.unveilingspanishamerica.com. And then you'll, and that takes you directly to my blog. So www.unveilingspanishamerica.com. You got it. That's great. Thank you so much uh, for sharing this with us. And I look forward to continuing our work together. Awesome. So do I. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and like to help support the Cuban Family Roots podcast, please share it with others, post it on your social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Cuban Family Roots or on Twitter at Cuban Family Roots Podcast or Facebook at Cuban Family Roots Podcast. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.